Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. You know, you probably heard this term monoclonal antibody in relation to treating patients with COVID-19. Well, it turns out this kind of science is now being used to treat dogs with parvovirus and dogs and cats who have arthritis. Professional services veterinarian Ed Zoetis and the president of the Human Animal Bond Association, Dr. Patrick Flynn, I want to talk about, and this is exciting, International Human Animal Bond Day. It's coming up. It's right around the corner on November 8. But before I do that, since you happen to be with the pharmaceutical company that has these monoclonal antibodies, that's a mouthful, that are being released, one was for cats with osteoarthritis, and that is called Silencia, that's been a game changer for cats. I mean, we've seen, I've seen, the before and after videos for these cats. It's it's really quite profound, the difference this injectable product makes. And now there's a dog version coming out. So I want to talk about that a little bit. The dog version specifically for dogs. The cat version specifically for cats. Monoclonal antibodies kind of been a buzzword Has this been even the most exciting thing, actually, maybe, since you've been a veterinarian? Yeah, you know, thanks for the time, first of all, and uh, always glad to be with you. And, and yeah, you're right. I was just thinking that last night. Um, Next year, I'll be a veterinarian for 30 years. I have no idea how that happened. But um, (laughs) the the reality is this probably is the most impactful and, and biggest deal, these two products. Uh, in, in, in my career. It's not just because I work for the company. It's, it's, it's going to have the most impact on, on our profession, and it's going to be such a wonderful, positive impact. Uh, it's so exciting to be part of it. Well, I want to talk about cats first a little bit. Uh, the name of the product is called Silencia. Is it safe to say that if you think your cat is hurting because of arthritis, you are definitely right, and that's probably been the case for a while, because cats generally don't want to tell us that they're in pain. So if the cat is telling you, you've got a problem there. Yeah, absolutely. I think the challenge with cats is because they, they are very subtle, uh, and then also the signs that happen happen very slowly over time. So you don't really notice until you see a video of your cat when they were younger, or you know, some, there's some uh, t- touch point there. You say, oh my gosh, you know, I remember, now I think he used to jump up on the counter all the time, or he jumped up on the bed. And now he doesn't anymore. And it can be that subtle, uh, the signs of, of OA pain in cats. Sometimes it's quite obvious, but the early signs are, are very, again, very subtle because cats are kind of mid-range predators. They, they, they hunt, but they are also potentially hunted. So they, they cannot show that kind of sign or weakness in, the, in, the, in nature, and it lays out the same in your home. All right. And the product, again, is called Silencia. And you know what? I'm being very honest with you. I don't mean to do a commercial here, but it turns out many more cats than we ever thought have arthritis, technically in veterinary medicine called osteoarthritis. Uh, And this has been, we've seen it, a game changer for these cats. You talked about the before and after videos. I did too. Uh, the difference is profound, and the issue with cats is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the cats that have arthritis are older. They may not be able to take uh, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that sometimes dogs do okay with and people can do okay with. Not always the case for cats. So for cats, 
There was nothing. We did the best we could. I mean, we tried laser therapy, which often can help, uh, massage therapy, which often can help, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Targeted, pulsed, electromagnetic therapy, a big word, but easy to do, and that can help. I mean, lots of things can help, but now there's something that really makes a profound difference for these cats. It's so true. You're exactly right. It's been very frustrating as a veterinarian and anyone in, in the animal healthcare team to help cats because there's just not been anything. Their livers are so different than dogs and others. We've not been able to use nonsteroidals successfully with them long term. And that's why this is not only is, is a, the use of a monoclonal antibody like this so wonderful um, from, from that point of view, but it's also because it lasts a whole month, and it's one injection. So, you know, you don't have to mess with your cat at all, thankfully, and they get such a wonderful result. So it's, it's just meant to be. Yeah, no pills needed for cats. That's, mm-hmm. that's happy to Thank hear. God. Yeah, and for dogs, a similar product, specifically for dogs, is coming out. That's called Labrella. It's, I think, being shipped as we talked right now. So depending on who your veterinarian is, your veterinarian may have it. If not, your veterinarian will have it soon. Uh, similar sort of story, and I think that for dogs... You know, it's always been said that if your dog is hurting, your dog will tell you. And I say, that's not necessarily true. Or by the time we see it, it's really bad. So even the, I don't know, Newfoundland, who's 10 years old for a Newfie, that's pretty old, who cannot jump up into the car anymore, of course. Boy, if we caught that when the Newfoundland was seven, we could have made a difference. Can you talk about that? Oh, sure, you're right. It's it's true. So often we're not really tuned in to what they're doing. We are able to offer through your veterinarian several different kind of cool tools of checklists and videos and things to watch to learn that very basically. But it's true. It starts very subtly. Um, and the earlier you can start a dog, and, and now with the wonderful tools that we have, particularly Labrella, the earlier you can start, the better it will be long term. We all think about the kind of the old thousand-year-old dogs who are limping around, and those dogs definitely benefit. But even more so, the dogs in very early stages of OA, uh, osteoarthritis, will benefit from this as well. So we're looking at really a new paradigm of treatment here, and it's not something that we keep on the shelf till the very end when they're really, really bad. This will be something we'll reach for, you know, first line, and it'll be, uh, you know, again, a very exciting time is coming. Yeah. Now, they have to come into the veterinary clinic for this, and there's an upside to that as well, I think. The veterinarian, or oftentimes it's an injection that the veterinary technician can do, uh, we're learning that, oh my gosh, we're seeing the pets more often. The pets, in many cases, when it's done correctly, are being uh, appropriately exposed to the veterinary clinic in a fear-free sort of manner, which means the idea is to minimize fear, anxiety, and stress. And because they're going all the time that's begun to happen for some animals. The other thing is that a veterinary professional is looking at that pet a lot and sometimes finding other things early and always finding something early is better than finding it later. So true. Absolutely. Finding something early is always better, and you're so so correct about coming in more frequently just from a, a fear-free fear, fear point of view, exposure point of view, because it's really, it's an injection. It doesn't hurt. It's over, you know, two seconds, and you're back in the car, and you're on your way home. And so those kind of quick visits that are just not scary, and there's, you know, you got some treats, and you get pets, um, can only be good things for, for both cats and dogs. 
Yeah, I wish the humans got treats too. Uh, that's, <laughs> no, be nice to have a doctor visit. Yeah, yeah I, that, that's a cookie and go home. That's a whole other story. <laughs> How this all relates to what you really have an incredible focus on, which we'll talk about, which is the human animal bond. It does. It does relate to the bond. And we'll talk about that and the Human Animal Bond Association when we come back on WGN. Dr. Patrick Flynn is the president of the Human Animal Bond Association. We began this by talking because it's news and a whole lot of cats, a whole lot of dogs have arthritis, in part because our pets, Dr. Flynn, are living longer than ever before. And one of the reasons for that is our bond is more intense with our cats who are now often indoors. If we were to have this conversation, what, 15 years ago even, uh, many of those cats that are indoors only today would have been indoors-outdoors or outdoors only. Uh, And even our bond with our dogs has intensified as well. They're not sleeping in dog houses anymore. It's kind of interesting when, uh, and this is a true story, my wife and I were having some disagreement about something, which of course never happens, and our niece happened to be there. At the time, our niece was maybe 19 or 20 years old. And she said something like, you ought to go to the doghouse or something to me. And my wife did. And my niece looked at us like, the what? She had never even heard the term before. You know, so wow. yes, life has certainly changed for our pets. The bond is intense, more intense than, you know, at one point in time, people would have said we were talking about arthritis and these new products that are available, at one point in time, people might have said, well, they're old. That's the way it goes. Not anymore, Dr. Flynn. You're so right. You're right. It's the, you know, so dramatically, you're right, in probably maybe 15 to 20 years, pets coming inside, spending more time, particularly veterinary care, the quality. And uh, within my career of 30 years has been dramatic, as well as our understanding of, of pain, of infectious disease, of surgery, nutrition. All those things have made a dramatic jump. As you know, I've got a new little five-month-old puppy at home here, and I think about his life and how different it will be than, than the last dog I had or the dog before that, mm-hmm. just from the quality of care and his experience and diseases that he won't have to really deal with as much. And it's just such a fun time to be part of this profession. Indeed. Uh, so when you see a dog or a cat struggle with arthritis, we were talking earlier about arthritis, so I will use that as an example. Your heart kind of breaks, and sometimes, with dogs, I'd argue even more than cats, but cats too, when they can no longer, cats too, because cats are living into their 20s now, and when they can no longer move to get to the litter box because of arthritis, when the dog can't negotiate stairs, particularly if it's too big of a dog for you to carry up and down stairs or get into the car without you lifting the dog and maybe... If it's a larger dog, you're unable to do that, or the dog loses house training, that's a big one, then the human-animal bond fractures, doesn't it? It sure does, on both sides, because I think the the pet, too, knows obviously something's wrong, they're in pain, but uh, it's, it's, it's literally embarrassing. I think it's difficult for them to not be able to do what they, they used to do. Um, and, and that's hard. Not only from that, I think if you imagine the last time you were in pain with something with a, I don't know, tooth root abscess or a horrible headache or something, everything in your life kind of falls apart. You're, even your cognition and your just your emotions and every part of your life is really dramatically impacted by chronic pain. And so that's why not only we see these pets improving so well just from their motion, but their whole lives improve because of the lowering of that pain uh, levels. 
benefits them so much. Yeah, interesting you said that because I learned from Dr. Tammy Grubb that in human beings, and for all of us, and you kind of just alluded to this, when we have chronic pain, uh, statistically, we are more likely to be chronically depressed. The two are intertwined. I had never thought about that before. But I suspect if it's true for people, and apparently it is, if it's true for people, it likely is true for dogs and probably for cats, too. I imagine probably beyond those two species, but certainly yeah, I think of cats a lot because they, they need their bodies uh, for so much. That's their whole way of being. They're, the way that they move through the world is that, you know, an athletic point of view and how amazingly built they are. And to lose that would be really hard, uh, you know, to not be able to do your regular thing, not to play normally or not to be able to pretend to hunt and get in a litter box and do all those things. Um, will lead to all sorts of weird behavioral problems. So it's, it is interesting. You've got to put yourself in their, in their minds as much as we can, and then you can see things a little clearer. What is the Human-Animal Bond Association, which you are president? Ah, this is a pretty cool group of, of like-minded but different people from different uh, walks of life within the, uh, the animal care-taking world and a little bit outside of that as well. Um, we are a group that really focuses on as I just said, kind of thinking about the relationship, the deep connection that people have with their pets, certainly, of all different types, different different uh, creatures, um, and then even occasionally looking even a little bit beyond that. Some people, everyone experiences the, the bond in some way. Even if you're not a, a pet person, you don't really want a pet in your house, you still love to go feed the pigeons or go for a walk in the woods. Something like that is still a bond, and we take an, a broad approach on that, but also focusing within the animal health, animal health care team uh, world. So anybody who's really um, an advocate for pet care is, is certainly a welcome, and truly everyone's welcome, but we do focus mostly on that group. Very fun group to be with. Well, I want to talk about the human-animal bond a little bit that we have with dogs and cats, and then I'll, I'll go beyond that, uh, because it does, as you point out, go way beyond that, way maybe more than we ever thought about. But uh, for dogs and cats, it turns out that we know study after study after study after study, dogs more than cats, demonstrates that dogs are beneficial to our health. Some studies actually demonstrate we are just as beneficial to their health, that the two species are intertwined. And it turns out that's, if you think about it, not too surprising since we evolved with dogs. It's it's true. Yeah, they, we are probably the human and canine connection is the most sex, successful, you know, cross species connection in, in the history of, of our planet. Um, dogs are very skilled at uh, kind of morphing themselves or um, getting themselves into our little world, as are we. At seem to be built even as you say, uh, from a genetic point of view. There are there have been studies looking at specific genes in humans uh, that seem to be kind of geared towards connecting to, to canines. And the more we look at it, even from a, a brain point of view, for many people, uh, the connection they have with their pet, but oftentimes with their dog just by frequency, presses the same buttons, literally the same parts of the brain that are activated for maternal activity. So we do feel a real deep, deep connection to them at the level of the, of the same level that many of us feel with, with our children. Um, so it, it goes that deep. There's neurochemical portions to it, so there are some cool little chemicals that you get when you hug your dog. They don't last forever and ever, but that relationship um, seems to be very consistent and deep, and, and that we're really hardwired to do that as social species. And it turns out that dogs have those same neurochemicals in their brains, 
and they right. they derive the same benefits that we do. So we hug our dog, and yes, the, our brains do a little happy dance, to put it in a very simple way, but it turns out the same thing happens on the canine side, which, if you think about it, isn't too surprising, but it's something until recently we never thought about. You're right. You're right. It's both both things. I mean, it's just strange because we, why we didn't think of this, <laughs> but yet it makes total sense. We are both... You know, hypersocial, hypersocial species, um, and we've used all sorts of different words for that. Um, now we've got some some really interesting data and some re- review to be able to probably actually use the word love. That dogs do really do love us, um, and because they are so similar to us in the way that they bond to all different things. Um, again, my little puppy has bonded very strongly to my other dog, as to me. So dogs are very skilled at bonding and, again, probably just being in love with us as true family members. Well, I know Dr. Flynn will take the day off on November 8th because that <laughs> is International Human Animal Bond Day. Yay! Yes, we are going to find out what that is all What is that all about? We'll find out. And I'm going to have Dr. Flynn do the impossible, or try to, when we come back, and that is explain what the human-animal bond is. Actually, define that term We'll see if he can next on WGN. Happy Thanksgiving! And I'm saying that right now because if you are traveling with your pet over Thanksgiving, now is the time, unless you know your dog or cat loves traveling in the car, now is the time to find out, to practice, to acclimate your cat to the carrier. Now, how do you do that? Check out my TikTok page or our cat's TikTok page, Groucho underscore the funny cat. I have explanations there about carrier training. And if your dog or cat is just a little anxious, you can help take off the edge with a nutraceutical product called Zilkine, which is hydrolyzed milk protein, pheromones help as well, and most of all, practice, 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 and make it fun. Dr. Patrick Flynn is president of the International Human-Animal Bond Association. Explain what this organization... This organization's been around for a very long time, hasn't it? Yeah, this will be 30 years for us. Oh, you don't look it. So as, <laughs> as, as, <laughs> as many years as you've been practicing veterinary medicine, as it turns out. I, yeah, we, 1994 but, was the beginning. But you wouldn't be practicing veterinary medicine if it wasn't for something we call the human-animal bond. But then again, there's this woman who I'm making up that lives in Armpit, Iowa, and she goes out every morning at the age of 92 to feed the birds because that's what she likes to do. Oh, but then there's this guy who lives in Tokyo who goes out every morning to do those exercises that they do there early in the morning at mm-hmm. 6 a.m., but he has some stuff in his pocket, and he feeds the squirrels at that time. Or there is the family in Brookfield, Illinois, that walks down the street to go to the Brookfield Zoo uh, on frequent occasions, the entire family, the kids and mom and dad and grandpa and grandma, they all go to the zoo. Explain what the human-animal bond is. That's a toughie, but I'll try. I think if we talked about pets just briefly there, we talked about the AVMA definition, which is a mutually beneficial bond, that connection, as you say, they get as much from us as we do from them. It is a true uh, two-way street, which is a wonderful way to think about it, and really the way it truly is. It is not utilitarian where we just kind of use them for uh, whatever. It is something where we all benefit from that. But there, as you say, there's a there's a broader discussion to it as well. There's a micro and a and a micro to it. 
And it appears as humans, once again, as kind of hypersocial species, we really, really need nature in some way. We just need to be part of nature. And very often that's having a dog or a cat or a bird. Or in, in China, a lot of young uh, kids have sex uh, that they keep, and they get the same kind of hit that we do from, from our pets. Um, that's all most interesting. But it is something we need, and every time I've ever presented on this, and anywhere around the world, including those in Australia, I always feel confident in saying, somewhere in this room, you can find something in nature, whether it's a fake plant, if you're in some weird you know, <laughs> high-rise or something, or almost always a window to look out at trees or something. We need to see that even the biggest cities in the world have natural areas to go visit. And that true, truly is the broadest definition of our, of our bond to, to nature world, which is much neat, which really is part of the tap, the tap root of little creatures in our homes and why we care for them. Uh, and are the examples that I gave, like the woman feeding the birds and the yeah. guy feeding the squirrels, and also from different countries, and even going to the zoo, all examples of the human-animal bond? Absolutely, they are examples. They're great examples. Um, and I think that's probably part of the reason why I and others have trouble giving a really diff- definite um, definition of the human-animal bond. And it's part of what I love about the human-animal bond, actually, is that there are trillions of human-animal bonds. Everyone has their own interpretation and their, their own connection with whatever it is, whether their connection to nature is to having a cat in their house or a dog, or whether it is, as you say, going to feed the birds, or whatever it is, uh, that's your connection. And even your connection with your dog, uh, and your dog's connection with you, is unique. Uh, and unto itself. Uh, I talk of it, I speak of it like a crystal. It's something that's never happened before and, and never will again. And it's truly something to be celebrated because it's, it's so unique and is unto you. And that's why I think we are all so drawn to it, whatever we believe it to be. During the pandemic, because I wanted to ask you about this, your take on this, it seems everyone, so shelters all over the world really said help because they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if their volunteers or staff could come in and feed the dogs and cats and take dogs for walks and clean litter boxes. So they asked for her, desperately pleaded for people to come in and clear the shelters. And they did. They did do that. And now we've never had so many pets in America. What's more, people without prodding went to pet stores and elsewhere. It seemed everyone got a guinea pig or a bearded dragon lizard during the pandemic, or maybe a leopard gecko. Those kind of (laughs) unusual, if you will, they're not that unusual, but those sorts of pets, sometimes called exotics by some, uh, went up like crazy in number. Why did these things happen? I'm curious what you think. Well, I think I'm sure there's lots of reasons for that, but I think it was back to what we were just talking about. People felt um, disconnected. They felt worried and uh, concerned, and, and they also knew they would have time at home, and maybe it was finally time to, to get that pet they had talked about. Or they, they honestly just wanted someone, another heartbeat in the house to be with them through hard times. Um, I'm sure there were many, many reasons uh, for that. It was, it, was a, it was nice to see a lot of dogs who needed homes, got homes. Hopefully they still have them. And, uh, and, but I think that was a big part of it is just that need for connection during, um, you know, harder times than most of us had experienced. And it's neat how, again, once again, we turn to, to nature in some way and mostly in the form of, of a new pet in the home. Yeah, but it's interesting to me that it wasn't only dogs and cats and people accepted uh, the call out. 
the cry out for help, really, that shelters had, and that was nice. But also voluntarily went and then picked up the leopard gecko or the, um, I mean, really, or bearded dragon lizard or guinea pig. Every Guinea pigs were sold out at some pet stores. What, what was, I mean, the pet stores weren't necessarily putting guinea pigs on sale. What, why did that happen? <laughs> I agree with you. I don't know for sure why that is. As you said, a lot of people went to shelters and read to dogs and, you know, uh, did extra things that they hadn't done because maybe they had time or maybe they just wanted to do that for them. But again, I think children and families wanted, not everybody can get a dog and not everybody can get a cat depending on where they live and what the structure of their lives are. So that may have been a a little bit of a compromise of a a little one, or I I don't know specifically why those little guys were so popular, but I suspect because they're pretty easy to have around and you still hopefully get that same hit from uh, from having a little one to care for. And there's actually pretty little social guys, too. They give it they give it back pretty well, too. So I suspect it was ease of acquisition and, uh, and ease of care. Hmm. I want to talk about International Human Animal Bond Day. Also, how you can participate with this organization, the Human Animal Bond Association. We'll do that when we come back on WGN. Dr. Patrick Flynn is the president of the Human Animal Bond Association. It's November 8th, International Human Animal Bond Day. What is that, Dr. <laughs> Flynn? Oh, boy. It's a, it's a, it's a growing uh, experience that yeah, you, too, can be part of. Um, something that we at Human Animal Bond Association started now um, two years ago, three years ago. Uh, and um, it is a, a recognition of all the things we've just been talking about. It's a, it's a time, it's a day that we kind of put our flag in the sand and say, let's, let's remember this. Let's think about what the human animal bond is to, to you and to everyone else. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty exciting that that's been created. Yeah, and, and celebrated all over the world because of you and sure. this organization. So where do people learn more about the Human Animal Bond Association, which incidentally is a membership organization? True. They definitely come on board. You can easily find our website at uh, humanimalbond.net. We're going to be posting things on both LinkedIn and, and Facebook, so come find us there, and we'll, we'll kind of give you a feel for what we're going to be doing. The theme this year is to step back and look closer, meaning that uh, move back a little bit and see the broader aspect of the bond, the, all the things we've been talking about, and then zoom in a little bit and, and maybe see something you haven't seen before. And uh, we have some pretty cool graphics to go along with that as well. And and the opportunity is whatever. If you have a pet-friendly business or you, you know, want to do something for wherever you work or you're an animal hospital, uh, creativity is only limited by, by, by your own. So I'm interested and excited to hear what people do on that day. Yeah, and, and what people say about it. Uh, and by the way, I want to give a quick plug to the Academy which you began, which is available for anyone at humananimalbond.net. Can you talk about that? I can. If you have to be a member, uh, it's a member benefit. But uh, that is a, a series of about seven different lectures from people all over uh, the world, uh, from all different aspects of um, animal care and animal cognition. Um, and, gosh, all sorts of there's things uh, in there about homeless people and working with their pets. Um, just a fascinating array of different things, all actually external to veterinary medicine. So people um, who have uh, great expertise from, from all over were willing to donate their time 
to present. And so it's be like going to a symposium that will never exist in the world, and we'll never get all those people in the same room at the same time. So it's just a wonderful thing to be able to listen to what they have to say. Yeah, you can do it virtually, though, humananimalbond.net. You can join if you'd like uh, and be a member of the organization or just learn more about it, humananimalbond.net. Dr. Patrick Flynn, International Human Animal Bond Day, November 8th, and you proclaim everyone gets off work, right? I do, immediately, <laughs> and you get to stay home and, and, I don't know, have a drink. It'll be great. <laughs> With <laughs> your you dog. Do. All right. Or your cat. Dr. Flynn, always good cat. to talk to you. Yeah, that's right. Dr. Flynn, great always to talk to, to you. Be. Yes. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Dr. Megan Heron, one of my favorite people, veterinary behaviorist, senior director of behavioral medicine, research education at Gigi's. That's a shelter organization dedicated to saving and improving lives of shelter dogs. Dr. Heron, one of the biggest problems, not only for animal shelters, but for veterinary clinics overall for puppies, has been and continues to be parvovirus. Now, the good news is there's a vaccine, but the bad news is, unfortunately, not all dogs are vaccinated and boosted appropriately. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely, Steve. So canine parvovirus is a devastating virus. Um, you know, it's something we we see puppies being more vulnerable to because they tend not to have as much immunity to it. Um, thankfully, there is a vaccine, as you mentioned, but that vaccine needs to be started um, young, so as as early as four weeks of age, but most of us getting our puppies around eight to ten weeks of age need to get our puppies vaccinated right away. And then a lot, a lot of people don't realize that vaccine needs to be boosted every three to four weeks and then redone year every one to three years, depending on the vaccine. Um, but because these, these dogs don't have natural protection to it, uh, this virus takes advantage of their gastrointestinal tract. So destroys their bone marrow, and really destroys their GI tract by giving them an inability to hold in their fluids. So they get terrible vomiting, terrible diarrhea, they get dehydrated, um, and then they can get bacteria that enters their bloodstream as a result. Really, really devastating. And if left untreated, is almost always fatal. And sometimes even when treated, these dogs historically don't make it. Is that correct? That is correct. So I come from a shelter where we we have the privilege of of a founder that believes in treatment of canine parvovirus. So we do treat our puppies if they do break with parvo. And even with the best of ICU care, um, I would say three to four out of 10 don't make it. So it's absolutely devastating, not just for the puppy loss of a puppy's life, but for the staff that put all their blood, sweat, and tears into saving this dog. Um, and then let alone, like, if these puppies were adopted and have a family connected to them, it's absolutely devastating. The loss of a, of a young puppy is just a terrible thing to experience for any family. It's heartbreaking, but the heartbreak continues in some cases because these dogs are often, as we both talked about, puppies. This happens during a critical period in their lives when they are appropriately not socialized because there they are at a animal shelter hospital or a veterinary clinic hospital. There's a price to be paid for that. There are medical issues that oftentimes continue for a lifetime for these dogs. Early treatment, we've always said, could make a huge difference. Now it's here. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, these puppies, their socialization window is about three to 12 weeks of age. If they don't get adequate exposure to people, places, sites, sounds, other dogs, 
you know, it's devastating, can have really devastating consequences once that once that puppy grows up. So house training problems, fear problems, aggression problems, inability to be crated, handled medically, an inability to know how to interact with other dogs, which leads to leash reactivity. I mean, I could go on and on and I'll, I'll spare you because that's not what we're here to talk about today. But but the every day a dog is being treated with Parvo or hospitalized for Parvo is, is a day we are stealing from their social window. And every one of those days is so critical, Steve. Um, so I am super excited that there is a treatment option that should look to be a game changer for these dogs to not only save their lives, but to shorten their length of stay in that hospital. So the sooner I get these puppies out of the hospital, back to healthy, back to being socialized, the better chance I have of helping that dog grow up to be a normal dog to be house trained, to love other dogs, to meet those men with hat and beards and glasses and meet other children and and just get to see the world as a puppy and learn that it's a safe place so that they feel safe and comfortable and aren't showing profound fear or aggression problems as an adult. Tell me about the canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody. So the canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody is a brand new product from Alanco. It is the first and only USDA conditionally approved monoclonal antibody that targets canine parvovirus with just one IV dose. So the idea is that the moment we have a, a puppy snap positive for parvo, we are delivering this monoclonal antibody right away. The, the sooner it's there, the sooner it can do its job to bind and block that virus from entering um, the cells in the GI tract. So then we don't have that destruction. We don't have that massive diarrhea. The early studies that they have done with this product are very promising. So none of the puppies that got this treatment died. That's, that's amazing. As I told you, with ICU care, we are still losing three to four out of 10 of them. And in this study, not a single one of the puppies died. That and, received this treatment. and I don't believe they're as sick as long, which is huge, too, because Correct. then they can go back yep. home. Ask your veterinarian. Uh, hopefully you won't have to because we don't want dogs with parvovirus. But the canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody, I say, is a game changer. Always talking to you is a pleasure. Dr. Megan Heron, thank you. My pleasure, Steve. Well, as they say, you can lead a cat to water, but you can't make a cat drink. Well, you can't make them drink, but they need to drink. The notion that cats are derived from desert species and therefore our domestic cats don't need to drink water is just absurd. And in fact, in state of fact, many cats are living day to day at least somewhat dehydrated. And we know in human beings that's a very uncomfortable feeling, so one can assume In cats, that's the same. And long-term, that can cause all sorts of problems. Uh, And maybe one explanation why so many cats, as they age, come up with uh, kidney disease, come up with kidney disease, end up being diagnosed with kidney disease. So here's what to do, and this is just a shortened version of this. Check out my website for more, and that is stevedale.tv. So understand that cats like height. And they need vertical space. And living in a multi-cat home, having just one bowl of water, they also don't like to share necessarily their resources that are most important to them, including water. So providing enough water dishes for the number of cats you have, ideally one more dish than the number of cats. And if you have two or three cats, at least one of those cat dishes up somewhere high. Not a glass dish, because cats can knock things over, so we don't want that to break, but we do want it to be accessible up high so the cat can 
Do what cats like to do, and that's climb a little bit. Also understand that cat moist food has about 70% water. So feeding at least some moist food daily. Now, I'm not going to get to the dry food versus moist food thing. I'll leave that for you to discuss with your veterinarian. But at least some moist food might be advantageous. Also, cats love fresh water. So fill up that water dish every single day. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early on WGN.